Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. It is Resurrection Sunday. I've got some couples here that I've married and I often tell them, um, I'm going to ask you a question, but don't worry, I'm giving you the answer. And so I want to give you the answer today. I'm going to ask a question in a moment, and the answer is, he is risen indeed. So I'm going to declare it and I want you to respond. He is risen. He is risen. Okay, the last time, let, let the Sunday school hear it. He is risen. Resurrection Sunday. Stones rolling out the way, life bursting forth, angels sitting on a stone because there's a king on a throne. I mean, just the symbolism and the beauty is just heart moving. Uh, I heard someone describing Jesus and they say, you know, in this day and age, everyone is looking for truth, but it's subjective. Everyone is trying to discover what goodness is, but really, where does that fall? So all we really get to do is when we present Jesus, we present the beauty of who he is in contrast to the brokenness of the world so that people can realize their hunger, their desire for him, not need, desire when they see his beauty. And that leads them into his goodness and his truth. I'm going to be approaching uh, this Resurrection Sunday from a different angle because I'm wanting to look at what does it mean to live on the right side of the cross with all that's been provided to us in the heart of God to bless us and empower us to live life in His fullness and a life that glorifies Him. What does that look like? And I want to look at a couple things that I'm going to guide us through. So I'm going to start off, I, I had the wrong scripture reference in the first service, but I've corrected my notes, but unfortunately not the slides. So if you've got your Bibles, you can jump into Ephesians chapter 1, and it's speaking about spiritual blessings. It says this, you know, you know, I can preach now, there's no performance, there's only joy in celebrating what he's done, partly because that's how we get to live anyway, but secondly, because I had a young man come up to me before the service and say, after the service, I want to give my life to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Before we even get going. This is going to be a good Resurrection Sunday. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has done what? He has blessed us in Christ, that's what we're celebrating today, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. My message could have been what the cross has supplied, but I'm calling it heaven's supply, because before the cross, heaven supplied its best for you and for me. That's, that's the celebration that we live with. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. You've heard grace and the acronym before. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. According to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. I mean, that, that is so beautiful. Sometimes we feel like we are not worthy and we're not deserving, but here's the thing. He chooses to pour out the riches of heaven on us, and then he says, that was with wisdom and understanding that I did it. Doesn't that make you feel good about who we call to be in him? Ephesians 2 verse 6, one more scripture, and it's the, the title in the NRV, and I think we've got it, we can turn to that, is alive with Christ. 
That's what it's titled, and it says this. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might display the surpassing riches of his grace. We see it once again. The surpassing riches of his grace demonstrated by his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Today, we are the recipients of the kindness of the Father to us through, through Christ Jesus that enables us to receive the riches, the riches of his grace. It was at his expense, and it's for our, I won't say enjoyment, but for our satisfaction. And I'm not talking about that he just satisfies. He way more than just satisfied. But you know when you are able to partake of something because there's such a hunger, there's such a thirst, there's such a desperation, but you are well satisfied. We get to be satisfied in him. And we've just celebrated Good Friday and we just had an amazing time and the Lord was moving powerfully in our midst. But I was so reminded as we heard that phrase that Jesus cried out, it is finished, that in that moment, God was unleashing a flood of his grace upon the world that continues even today. In this moment, it traverses 2,000 years and it's a river that doesn't slow down, but it picks up momentum as it starts to sweep all up into the direction of where we're heading into God's beautiful plan. And here's the thing. Wherever you might find yourself today, whatever you might find yourself facing or challenged with or, or lacking in a sense, because there's lack in areas, we all feel it, Christ has already supplied every good thing that you need through the cross. Every good thing you need. And so you can say to yourself, I don't know what situation you pitched up here with or arrived with or you, you're concerned about, praying about, or thinking I might need God for this because I've come to the end of myself. Maybe there's some of us that are here. I want you to realize this, and I say it with full confidence because of the day that we are celebrating, that God's supply wasn't only provided for, God's supply is here. His supply is here. And so I wanna just bring us to the first point, and I'm gonna put it on the screen. And are we living in challenging times, demanding times, and reactionary times, and so my first question, before we look at what he's made available to us and what he wants to do for us and through us, is to help us to realize where are we in this moment. We, we, we know where he is. He's seated on the throne, but where are we? And so the first question I wanna ask you that'll help you to discern this in your own moment is this, are you reacting to demand or are you responding to supply? Are you reacting to demand that's coming on you and uh, at you and pulling you and badgering you, or are you responding and moving into response to the supply that is coming toward you, picking you up, carrying you, taking you along? Let's look, Matthew 11, 28 to 30 in the message. Sorry, I don't think I have the scripture for this, so you're gonna either have to listen or get out an iPad or a phone and follow along on your own. But it's Matthew 11, verse 28, and it says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Listen, it's school holidays. How many parents are, this is us. I got you just with the scripture, amen. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? 
Here we see where he's really getting. He's starting to speak about the, the demand of religion on us, the performance it, it places upon us, the weight and the burden of trying to live right and be right and do right, not only in the sight of God, but in the sight of others, and to try and compensate for the, the failure we often feel in ourselves in that place. Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. You know, many times in the scriptures we see him saying, come after me, follow me. But this is the only time where he's directly saying, come to me, directly, to you here today, as you're experiencing that. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. We're looking at the supply of heaven, the other versions, which more accurately say, I will give you rest. I'm gonna give it to you. It's, it's gonna be a, a gift from me to you. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's what we're looking at today. There's a rhythm of grace. There's a, a rhythm of supply. There's a rhythm of abundance because there's a heartbeat in Jesus on the throne who is pouring out and there's a river that flows to you and to me. And here's the thing. When you are conscious of God's supply to you, then you get to live out of grace. Now hear what I say there, you get to live out of grace because we don't have to live up to the law, we get to live out of grace. You don't live up to grace, you live out of it. But in the same way, in the opposite perspective, when you are conscious of demand and when you're running around and badgered by that demand, as I've said, as it puts weight on you, burden on you, challenge on you, you have to try and achieve something to actually live in a way that you're deserving. And so there's a weight and a burden in that. And that's why the principle of grace is this. If you want to know what the principle is and what we are celebrating today as we live under grace, we live in a new covenant of grace, not an old covenant of law. The, the principle of grace is this, it's supply. It's supply, it's being supplied richly, abundantly, lavishly, generously, with no holding back, it's supply. And the principle of law, you might find, hey, I've been under the wrong, operating from the wrong principle living under the wrong covenant, the principle of law is demand. The law says you shall, you should, you shall, you shan't. It, it, it places that on you. But under grace, God says, I will, I will, I will. You see, here's the thing. The difference with, with the law is this. The law, you've got to do so that you can earn salvation. That's the law and that's religion. The difference with what Jesus has done and the relationship we have with him, he says, I'm gonna do so that you can receive salvation. You see, it's a totally different uh, approach to this. And, and we see that we have this new covenant of grace with a new high priest that offers new and better promises. And in Hebrews chapter eight, we read about this in verse 10. As I say, the law says, you shall, you shan't, you shall, you shan't. Here we'll see God saying, I will. Four verses and four I wills. This is the covenant, the Lord says, that I will establish with the people of Israel. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I'm gonna jump to verse 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Man, what a beautiful statement that last one is. I remember sitting in Wasilla, Alaska, while a lady in her 70s who's been a missionary all over the world spoke about the forgetfulness of God. I was affronted, I was arrested, I thought this is blasphemy. How can you say that God is forgetful? Well, here's the thing he chooses to be. 
because in forgiveness, he will remember your sins no more. Isn't that so beautiful and encouraging? You see, under this covenant of grace, God is the one who is doing all the doing and all the supplying. We just have to position ourselves to be those that receive the abundance of what he's done and what he's giving us. You see, when you demand orientated, it's, it's a pressure for you to, hey, I've got to make this happen. And the result is you feel stressed. Here, here's how you can know if you live in reaction to demand or if you're living in um, response to grace. If you're living in reaction to demand, you're probably feeling stressed, you're probably feeling pressurized, you're probably fe feeling performance, you've got to meet expectations, you've got to achieve the result. But if you're living under grace and in response to his supply, you're just thinking, I've got to keep my eyes on him, I've got to keep moving with him, I've got to keep being carried in the direction he's going in because he's providing for everything that is needed as we go, despite the demands. Doesn't mean there are no demands. It means the demands don't have your attention, they don't have your affection, and they're not the thing that's causing you to, to uh, react, but rather you're responding to something else. And the result of that is you'll feel a peace in the midst of it all because there's provision and your eyes are focused and you're unflinching and you know that there is supply and it's an unfailing supply. It's not gonna be here today and God tomorrow. Some of you might have been investing into crypto and earlier, or was it last week, you, you sourced the Dogecoin going through the roof and you thought this is an unfailing supply without realizing that Elon Musk had put it as the logo for Twitter, it took off and then he sold the shares and took it off and now it's back, it was a failing supply. But in him we have an unfailing supply. There was some laughter and there were some winces. Um, and so here's the thing, oh, wh what are you? Demand conscious or are you supply conscious? As we speak about all that heaven is supplied on Resurrection Sunday. That word conscious, when you look at what it means to be conscious to something, it means to be aware and to be able to respond. To be aware and to be able to respond. What are we aware of and what are we allowing ourselves to respond to? Because when we are supply conscious, we will, if we are aware and respond, we actually live as an invitation for God's miraculous to break into the ordinariness of everyday life and to surprise us with his abundance because we've positioned ourselves to respond and to receive the flow of the supply of heaven. How are you living at this moment? Are you needing, are you in need? Are you needing healing? Are you needing peace? Are you needing comfort? Are you needing relationship? Are you needing just one who will walk with you and be closer than a brother? What, what are you needing in this moment? Because you see, there's, there's, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Not just some, not just momentary, every continual outworking blessing that we have through Christ Jesus. You don't have to wait for a right time or a right moment or a right circumstance for it to take place. No, all you need to do is look away from the demand that's coming at you, see his supply and receive by grace. I'm gonna look away from the demand, I'm gonna see his supply and I'm gonna position myself in awareness to respond and to receive his grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. If we can get into sight that which has no end in sight, then we'll begin to live in a totally different light. I like a little bit of poetry, as you can hear. Let me say that again. If you can get into your sight, that which has 
no end in sight. It will change the light in which you see everything. James 1, verse 2 to 5, and I'm just going to read, actually, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll read the end of verse 4. It's talking about taking James, uh, James is talking about going through some journey that will bring you into maturity and completeness so that you lack nothing. You see something of the heart of the Father as, as James is writing that you would lack nothing. Goes on to say this in verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Do I have that on the screen? No, I don't. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. I've got to start again. I've gone too quick. If any of you lacks wisdom, what should you do? You should ask God. Why should you ask God? Because he gives generously to all. But you're thinking, but I'm not deserving. He gives generously to all without finding fault. He's not looking to discredit or disqualify. He wants to give generously. That's his heart out of heaven's supply. And it will be given to him. Verse six, and here's something. We do have a part to play. This is the part that we play. Verse six, but when he asks you or me, he must believe and not doubt. And we're gonna see what that means in just a moment. But here's the thing. If you look at this, if any of you lacks, you can take the word wisdom out of that and put any other word in. If any of you lacks strength, if any of you lack courage, if any of you lack vision for your life, for your marriage, for your family, if any of you lack hope because you're sitting in despair, if any of you lack comfort, here's the challenge. Let him ask God. Don't know where you're going to try and bring the stopgap, but it says here, let him ask God. Because James also tells us in another part that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadow. All the good gifts come from the Father. That's why we ask him. If you're lacking, you get to ask him and he's gonna give generously without finding fault. This is how it says it in, in the one commentary of that, uh, that line. It says, ask the giving God who loves to give generously. There is no withholding and he gives without fold. If you understand what that means to give without fold, well, let me help you understand what that means. I think it was on Friday, I think there were some Easter eggs given out in my house and um, I, I asked my little fella, uh, can I have one of your, Luke, no, my other little fella, Mitch, who's eight, I asked him, can I have one of your chocolate Easter eggs? And so he said, yes, you can have one. And he gave me the exact one I could have. Anyway, it was delightful because I was in lack and I received. But, but then the next day, there was a traumatic voice yelling and running through my house saying, who ate my ladybugs? I never realized he had chocolate Easter egg ladybugs, but somehow they had gone missing. And I'm not blaming Leanne, but all I'm saying is it wasn't me. Why I say it like that is because there's this picture that in the tablecloth, maybe some of those chocolates got caught in a fold or hidden somewhere. I think he found them. But it's this picture of, of the father sitting on his throne, wanting to pour out blessing generously. He withholds nothing because he is the giving God who loves to give generously without withholding. And there's no fold. There's no, there's no part of his robe that he is clothed in that is going to withhold. It is all going to pour abundantly, lavishly, graciously upon us because Jesus has removed every restriction and made the way open for us to receive of his abundant supply. That's the beauty of what that means. And so the first thing is, as we look, we see that 
are we responding to demand or are we, I mean, are we responding to his grace and supply or are we reacting to demand? And the second thing I want us to see is this. If you are responding to his supply and his grace, point number two, if we can put it up, grace always oversupplies your need. He doesn't just meet your need, he oversupplies your need. That's the beauty of who he is. John 6, 1 to 13. I'm not gonna read it all, I'm just gonna tell you and paraphrase it a bit. We looked at it last week, but it's Jesus when he goes out to feed the 5,000. I love this, you think he's feeding 5,000, he's always oversupplying. There was 15 to 20,000, because they hadn't included the women and the children. And so anyway, it's the story of the feeding of the, let's say, 15 to 20,000. And in this moment, we see Jesus modeling something to us that he wants us to, to live in and live out of ourselves. Because what happens is he enters into a moment of scarcity that some of us might be facing, and yet there's demand in the scarcity, yet his conscious, he is conscious of the supply and the abundance of heaven, uh, even in the midst of what's surrounding him. And so Jesus is able to respond in a way to the demand because he sees supply because he's aware of supply, so he can respond to that supply. You see, the disciples, they're only seeing demand. They are feeling challenged. They're thinking, we've got a little boy's lunchbox and we're wanting to keep it for ourselves because we don't have enough money and food for everyone. And so they're like, Jesus, do something about this and don't take what's ours is really the mindset. But Jesus sees the supply. And so he is able to thank the Father for that which is little and that multiplies and becomes much. Little becomes much in an atmosphere of thanksgiving. And so when you can turn your attention away from the demand and be conscious of his supply and give thanks for that which you know he has, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm, even while you're taking hold of the little multiplication that's happening, kingdom multiplication, that might not yet be visible, but it's got momentum. And so we see this, and Eugene Peterson speaks of this principle. He says, whenever we see bread in Scripture, we see something happening. We see the blessing, the breaking, and the giving. And in this moment, you're seeing Jesus blessing, breaking, and giving. And what happens after this is that not only is everyone full, not only is everyone did they not only have as much uh, as they wanted, it says that they were satisfied, and there were 12 baskets full of leftovers, five loaves, two fish. You see, when grace supplies, it means each of the disciples don't, didn't only have a lunchbox, but as I said last week, they had a, a Kentucky family bucket, each one, 12. When grace supplies, it is always exceedingly, abundantly above what you can ask or imagine. Here's, this, here's the thing. You don't have to worry about the exceedingly more abundantly. How can it be beyond what I can imagine? You can get yourself in circles there. Don't you worry. That's not your responsibility. Here's your responsibility. Start asking. And in the asking, you'll start the imagining with him. Because he starts to, he starts to work with you, to ideate with you, to, to cultivate with you, to, to dream. That's the beauty of what it means to be uh, walking in relationship with Christ as co-heirs. Ephesians 3.20 says, now to, his, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. There is power at work within us. Pause for a moment. Discover for yourself 
are you facing a five lows and two fish scenario in your life right now? Is there scarcity that you're aware of in your finances? Is there scarcity in your time that you can commit to others? Is there scarcity in your depth of relationship? Is there scarcity in your spirituality? Is there scarcity that you're aware of that you know, I I just don't feel satisfied. I don't know why it is. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, as you too and Bona would say. Whatever area of lack that you might discover, I want to encourage you to start to shift your focus away from the lack and start to turn your attention to the abundance, to the largeness, to the muchness, to the generosity of God's heart and supply toward you. I want you to start to change that focus because Jesus wants to bless you in a way that will astound you and he wants to cause you in the midst of impossible situations to recognize that all things are possible with him. That's why you see an empty tomb. Here's the beauty of it. Jesus didn't need the stone rolled away. Just a little bit later, we'll see him walking through a wall to be with the disciples. The stone was rolled away in which the angel sat so that we could see in because he wants us to see emptiness here speaks of the abundance we have there. And so he paints this picture so that we can know that there are 12 baskets full of leftovers in every area of insufficiency. Baskets of leftovers overflowing in every area of insufficiency. John 10, 10. It says, the enemy comes to rob, kill, and destroy, but I've come to bring life and life abundantly. I'm gonna read it from the Passion Translation, just the second part. It says, I have come to give you everything in abundance. It's talking about everything you need for life and godliness. It's talking about every good gift. He doesn't give you gifts that will destroy you as much as you think they're good. He gives you good gifts. He says, I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness, until you overflow. There's there's this expounding aspect to life in him. And it's the Zoe kind of life. That's what the word means in the Greek. It's the Zoe, it talks about the God kind of life. What it's saying is this, I don't want you to live life here and then get eternal life just so that you can get to experience life with God. He's saying, no, I wanna give you the God kind of life now so that you can experience it. I don't want you just to think about escaping as N.T. Wright says, um, the New Testament theologian, escaping to get to heaven. I want you to colonize earth with the atmosphere of heaven. And so that's what's happening as we see this unfolding, even as we see the empty tomb, and we see that there's grace and abundance to live life in a way that glorifies God and is God's type of life. So the third thing I wanna see, even as we see that grace always oversupplies is this, that there's a reason for our supply. We, we, we're celebrating all we have in Christ, and there's a reason for that. He is the reason, and as we look back 2,000 years ago, it has nothing to do with what we deserve or achieved or planned in our own right, but 2,000 years ago, a lonely and beaten beyond recognition figure hung on a cross, and his name was Jesus. And Jesus chose to take our place and become a curse for us. That's what Scripture says. He bore our sin and shame. The beauty is to know that he bore it. We don't have to bear it anymore. But he bore our sin and shame and he was cut off from all the blessing of God in that moment on the cross. And he was cursed so that we can become blessed. And there's a cry that he lets out on Good Friday that gives you a shout on Resurrection Sunday. 
You see, on Good Friday, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that today on Resurrection Sunday, we can shout out, my Father, my Father, why have you so blessed me? It's nothing that we deserve or earn or have achieved ourselves. It is the light of the Father's heart provided in Jesus if we will allow ourselves to receive the abundance of that which he has done. My Father, my Father, why have you so blessed me? He was in darkness so that we can be in eternal light. And he took all that we deserved so that we can be supplied with and receive all that he deserves all the time. Let me say that again because you need to get this one. He took all that we deserved so that we can be supplied with and receive all that he deserves all the time. There's a beautiful depth to that statement. And the reason that grace supplies is because love is always given. You know, you go through the scripture and over and over, Jesus talks about love and scripture talks about love, but there are times where it says that he is love, that God is love. And when we look at this, we begin to understand the nature of love is to give. We discover it in the one who is love. It says in John 3, 16, for God so loved that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved that he gave. Love gives. It always outgives. And Jesus outgave himself in giving us life. You see, love gives, love doesn't take. And here's the thing, here's the beauty. Love always gives more than you can take. Love gives, it never takes, but love always gives more than you can take. There's always more to receive, more to take hold of, more to allow to flow into our lives. That's why Jesus said, and it said of him, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even, I wanna to say today, even in his glorified, resurrected state, the servant king loves to give and loves to serve. And the word serve there means to minister to us as his people today. That's still his delight. And we can feel his personalized touch in that all through the scripture, that he always wants to superabound in kindness and goodness and lavishness and supply to us. He always is provider. We never come to a place of saying, no, I have been provided for. No, he is always provider and we are always living in his provision. We get to stay in that constant place of motion in him. And we find whenever Jesus preaches, teaches, and heals in scripture, there's always more going on that is going on. Preaching, teaching, and healing, there's always more happening than what we see. You see, it goes beyond just the cognitive, it goes beyond molecular, uh, it goes beyond the thinking and the teaching, it goes beyond the, the physical and the healing, and it goes beyond the, the psychological and the emotional aspect of what's happening. There's always more taking place. Let me give you an example. There was a leper that came to Jesus. And he said, Lord, can you make me clean? And you need to realize how desperate this leper must have been. You know, I believe that he possibly heard that call, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And so this leper pitches up because he's responding to the word of Jesus that he hears beckoning him even while he feels the opposition of all that this world and religion and peers would throw at him. And so he's walking and there's a desperation for Jesus because he's breaking the law and he's risking his life at the expense of being stoned because not only is he leaving the area that he was confined to, but he is subjecting others to the illness that he carries 
but he's on his way to Jesus. And it says, when he met him, he worshiped him. He said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And I'm so glad when we see Jesus' response that he didn't deal with them according to the demands of the law. He didn't say, you have broken rabbinical law, you are unclean, you are defiled, you are a sinner, you should be stoned to death. That wasn't the response of Jesus. That could be the reaction to the demand of what law and religion would bring. But there's a supply of grace that responds in this moment. And it says his grace was flowing and abundant toward this man. He, was, he had compassion towards him. And he steps out in healing. And it says this, Jesus put, his hand, Jesus put out his hand and touched the leper saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the man was healed. I want you to notice that Jesus touched the leper first before he healed him. I believe in that moment that you might be thinking, oh, the miracle happened, but I believe the touch was a miracle in itself. Because this chap had probably as a leper, living in a leper colony, a colony never ex well, not experienced the touch of compassion and kindness and nearness from another human in many, many years. There was significance in the simplicity of a touch. And what that touch did is didn't only heal him physically, that it did as well but it allowed him to be restored in his humanity and his dignity. Because for a while, no one had wanted to touch him, no one had wanted to possibly be near him because there might have been a physical repulsiveness with that which he was suffering from. And it was suffering from it. He didn't deserve it, he was suffering from it. And in that place, he probably hadn't been able to touch and to love and to embrace those that he loved most. But Jesus comes and touches him and restores something of dignity and worth with him and humanity with him, within him, and then heals him so that he can once again embrace and be embraced. I mean, there is miraculous outworking of abundance supply on various levels in this story. And when Jesus comes, he doesn't only meet your need, he supersedes it, and he's working on various dimensions within your life. Not only cognitive, not only molecular, not only psychological, spiritual, in every aspect, he is working. And I want us to see that love gives. And love gives more than just what is needed. Love gives to restore and to bring us into a place of wholeness and shalom. It's oversupplying nature of love and grace, of compassion and his experience to us. And so we need to start to be aware in our lives, what have I been reacting to and what have I been focused on that's allowing me possibly to feel hopeless wherever I might be? And how do I need to reposition myself? It's the word or orient or to be orientated towards something means this. I'm gonna be supply um, orientated means I'm gonna reposition myself and align myself. I'm gonna be supply conscious means I'm gonna be aware and I'm gonna be responsive. What are you positioning yourself, aligning yourself to, becoming aware of and that's taking your awareness and what are you responding to? Because he's provided everything. It's us who get to respond to that which he has poured out and given. So it brings me to the last point, and it's this. Faith takes. Point number four, faith takes. And we can call the children. They've got a beautiful uh, video we're going to see that's going to lead us into uh, communion. But let me finish with this fourth point. Faith takes. We've seen that grace supplies. We've seen that love gives. And faith takes. 
And when we see that faith takes, it's actually, it's, it's our part as believers is to do this. And we can look at it and we think, but George, you know, we're not called to be greedy, we're not called to hoard. Taking is just, uh, it's not a great word to use in this situation. But what I'm meaning by this is that faith is the hand that takes hold of the hand of God. Faith is the hand that takes hold of the hand of God. You see, sometimes faith is stepping beyond just receiving, it's taking hold of. I got to walk with my little fella, Mitch, uh, yesterday, and we, when we go for walks, um, we're walking a friend's dog who's in our state, and when we go for walks, I often put out my hand to, to hold his. And I don't force him, I don't uh, pressurize him. My wife always tells me there's a scripture that says don't exas- ex- what's it? Exasperate. exasperate your children, that's it, she knows it well. Um, <laughs> and so I put out my hand, and he can receive it in that moment. And that's beautiful, and he knows what's available. But there's something about taking a hand. When he is walking with me, and I'm walking there, and then he stretches out. Not because he knows the information of who I am, but there's relationship, and he knows my character and my nature, and that there's security and stability, and that there's love, and that there's joy in my heart towards him. And so he takes my hand to receive all that's available to take hold of me for that which I often take hold of him. You see, there's something about taking. We can say, yeah, but it's, it's better to give than to receive. It's better to give than to take. And, and sure, the Bible says that it's more blessed to give than to receive. But there we, we're talking predominantly about a relationship with others. But when it comes to our relationship with the Father, Hebrews 11 verse six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. This aspect of faith. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He is delighted when we come to to take hold of him, to receive from him, to enter into all that he makes available. And you see, our challenge with faith, and our problem is this, is many of the time we are a lot like Jesus' disciples. And you might feel very encouraged by that and affirmed in that even as I say it. But here's the challenge that Jesus would bring regularly to his disciples. He would say to them, oh, you of little? Oh, you of little faith. In essence, this is what he was saying. He was not trying to denigrate them or condemn them or tear them down. Really, what he was saying is this. I am so full of supply. Heaven is so full of abundance. There's so much riches of grace that are available to you through me. Why do you take so little? Why do you limit? Why do you cap it off? Notice he didn't say, are you of little fasting? Or you of little um, prayer? Or you of little Bible memorizing and reciting? He said, you of little faith. Draw more from me. Take more from my supply. It is abundant and flowing. And you see, when we allow our faith to be small and take only a little from God, What that means is that we're taking a little, but then there's more need that we have to meet somewhere else. And so we've got other people and other things and other situations that are standing in because we are not in faith taking the much of what he makes available. Oh, you of little faith. And he wants to be first and he wants to be foremost. And the challenge is this, not many of us are really good receivers. When someone gives you a gift and normally your your response is, oh no, you shouldn't have, I don't deserve this, and it's the polite thing, and it's the refined thing to do. 
And we need to ask God to make us better receivers, to stretch our capacity to receive from him. Not that we can just hoard, but that we spoke about last week, that we can pour, not store, so that we can be rivers that allow blessing to flow through us, not that are just being dammed up within us. But we have to say, Lord, stretch my capacity because I wanna live in and out of your grace, the, the abundance of your supply, so that I can see a world that is desperate, desires met in you because you are the realization of every desire, even if people think it's a want or a need or a have to have, they don't realize that the realization of that desire is found in Jesus. Because in their search for the more, they haven't discovered of the beauty of the one who can be held in contrast to the brokenness around them to experience goodness and truth, as I started off by speaking. And here's the bottom line, in God's kingdoms, the supply never runs out. And so how do we access the abundance the very same way Jesus did? You see, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. Where we see scripture speaking of bread, it says this, and he is the bread of life. And that's why there's a table. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all my innermost being. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives who heals, who redeems, who satisfies, who crowns, and who renews our strength. See, he is the bread of life, and so we bless him because he was broken and because out of the radical abundant supply of his lavishness, he wants to give you the God kind of life to live here and now in the midst of scarcity and demand so that you can be an overflow of that wherever you go. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for who you are this Resurrection Sunday. We thank you that the tomb is open, the stone is rolled away, an angel sat on it because you are seated on the throne. We thank you that out of emptiness, there is fullness and abundance. And we come against every scarcity mindset that might just trap us down. And we pray that we would get a fresh picture of who you are, that we'd be conscious, aware, and able to respond to heaven's supply. And you are, Lord, you are God's riches given to us at your expense, grace. And I pray, Lord, that there would be a flow of grace to every individual and every heart. And for those of us here who say, I I haven't known that the realization of my desire can be found in Jesus. I've seen something of the beauty of who he is in contrast to the brokenness I'm surrounded by. And I want something of life that is not just me trying to live life, but it's the God kind of life that I can live here and now, if you are in this place and you want to receive him as your Lord and Savior, I want to just give you a moment, just if we can all close our eyes, if you can raise your hand, because we're going to pray a prayer, and I want you to just be in agreement and be agreement with you of what the Lord is wanting to do. Is there anyone here that wants to give their life to the Lord this morning? I already know there's a young gentleman, and I can see a couple of responses. Anyone else, I want you to just raise your hand. Let's pray. I want you to pray this with me for those who are wanting to receive him as Lord and Savior. Firstly, I I wanna just pray, let's pray this. Father, we just so thank you for the gift of Jesus. Jesus, I wanna thank you that you lived for me and died for me. And I wanna thank you that because you're alive, I can live. And so I ask you to come and give me 
resurrection life here today. And I receive you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just minister this to every individual, every heart, every family member, every generation in just greater measure and an unfounding beauty throughout this day and the weeks ahead, but particularly continue to minister to us as we just reflect on resurrection life we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.